Hi, this is Paul Butler. I'm the Senior Pastor of New Heart Baptist Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. We hope that this podcast will be a great blessing to you and encourage your life. We've been going through Romans 8 and it's been, I don't know, if you've got a favourite chapter in the Bible, chapter 8 of Romans is one of my absolute, and Kanwa who's um, our Arabic-speaking friend, who's wanting to start an Arabic-speaking congregation in Logan, which is very exciting. There is an Arabic-speaking congregation in all of Brisbane. Um, so he's got a real heart to gather and to do, start doing Discover Jesus with people who are Arabic-speakers. The thing about Arabic is it crosses nationalities. It's the common language amongst our Middle Eastern friends. And so he's really keen about that. But he said to me, oh, Pastor Paul, chapter 8 of Romans is my favourite. You're speaking to my heart. He got very excited. But we've talked about the fact, um, the beginning, uh, halfway through Romans, it talks about, Paul says that you are sons. Uh, you, you are sons and daughters. You are heirs, but you're actually more than heirs. You are actually co-heirs with Jesus, meaning this. The inheritance that Jesus won through his death and resurrection is something that he says, I'll share it with you. So good. Everything he won is something that I get to share in. I'm not just an heir, I'm a co-heir. And that's a pretty awesome thing. And then the next sermon, I talk to you about that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And the truth is, is that God is good and he knows how to work bad for good. And God is able to take the things that we do as humans, that, that we create havoc, and the things that Satan does, he kills, steals, and destroys. He can take that, and he still can figure out how to make good out of it all. Isn't that good news? That God is powerful and almighty. But right at the bottom of um, Romans chapter 8, we have this um, beautiful passage about the love of God, and how that it, um, nothing can separate us from the love of God. But right in the middle, we're going to read these this words. And in the older translation, it says that we are more than conquerors. This is where Super Nike comes in. So, um, Lord, as we come to your word in chapter 8 of Romans, we come because you're the one who is our Super Nike. You're the one that is the great overcoming victor. And we come, Lord Jesus, with a desire uh, to be touched by you, touched by your word, and be transformed in the way we see your word in our life. So, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd open your word to us. And, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to our hearts so that we would not just know your word, but we would do it. That we not just be hearers, but doers of your word and give you praise and honour through our lives, that our act of obedience will be a sign of our love. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Let's read this together. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? See, we forget to pause when a question's asked. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? We just heard three stories of people who are experiencing exactly that. And the question is, can, um, does it mean he no longer loves them? 
No. The answer is a resounding no. As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day, we are being slaughtered like sheep. No is the answer. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. I want you to just stop and pause. This whole passage we're going to talk talking about is victory connected to great love. Victory connected to great love. It's the love of God that is more powerful than anything in the universe. It overwhelms darkness like you could not believe. We we think of enemies we how do you defeat an enemy? The last word I would have thought of coming to my mind as to how to defeat the work of bad, mad or sad would be love. But it is the love of God that actually overcomes everything that is against him. It's not, it, Paul doesn't use the word power, though that's true. He doesn't use the word... Other words, come on, what other words could he? Anointing, power, strength, might. No, it's, it's his absolute agape, as Simo talked about last week. The agape of God. Well, that word loved, who loved us, that agape is a Greek word that is actually, Paul uses it and the New Testament writers use it, John uses it, to express the only only. The, the love that proceeds from God. When we're called to agape one another, how do you do that? If it proceeds from God, how do you love one another? Husbands, love your wife. Agape. The only way that you and I or anyone can get to that level of love is to have the love of God in us. That comes from God. The only way you can agape someone Without the love of God in your heart, you can love all sorts of ways, but it's not agape. That unconditional, sacrificial love starts and is generated and proceeds and comes from God. And when a person becomes a follower of Jesus, it fills their heart with a love that they never had before. It's his love and it transforms their life now they have a love that comes into them and fills them and transforms them. And guess what they have to give away? Agape. Konnafriwa. That was his fifth daughter. Agape. And agape. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for, all, for us all, won't he also give us everything else? This is talking, Paul's taking us back to the whole inheritance thing. Everything else. What is everything else? Everything that Jesus inherited through his death and resurrection. Who dares? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. 
And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's hand, pleading for us. Paul talked about it, the fact that we are co-heirs with Christ. Paul says in another place, he says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Where is Jesus? Jesus is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. And he invites us to come and sit with him. You can't sit in the presence of God if your sin hasn't been dealt with. The only way I could be considered worthy to come into the presence and the place where God is, is for someone to have dealt with the problem that I've got and every human has, which is a sin that keeps us out of the perfect, pure presence of God. And I am convinced, says Paul, this Paul, are you convinced? That nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Anybody got any of those? Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation, nothing created. Oh, there's so many created things that you could think could separate you. Nothing, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And thus ends the sermon. Super Nike. Um, the Greek word for overwhelming victory is Super Nike. Hyper Nike. The God of war was Nike and he was associated with victory. This is a Greek word. And Paul takes this Greek word to describe this place for us. But it, it begins the, the super Nike, this overwhelming victory. And in older versions, it says uh, that you are, uh, we are conquerors, more than, more than conquerors. And I thought to myself, question, um, I just thought you were a conqueror. You know, you, if you win, you win, right? Well, in the grand finals this year in the AFL and the NRL, um, they were disappointing because I like even matches because there was a super Nike in both those games. Penrith and Geelong were overwhelmingly victors. Their, the scores were blown out. They were big wins. They were super wins. And I just want to say to you that Jesus is a super Nike. Jesus, he overwhelmed his enemies. His victory was completely, massively, overwhelmingly. It was mighty. It was substantial. It was, there's nothing like the victory of Jesus. There was no one and no one since has overcome death. Do you know anybody that has risen from the dead after three days being dead? There's no one. It's the one thing that separates all other religions on the face of the earth that not one of them has a prophet that is alive and will be alive forevermore. Jesus Christ is only the Lord Jesus Christ because he died 
and he rose again and he proved that he had authority over death. Death is the big lasting judgment for everybody, for everything. If you, you get to, to be a victor over death, you can have everything. And Jesus is the victor over everything. So he is the super Nike. And because we are co-heirs, because we get everything that Jesus inherited, we are super Nikes, Paul says, through Christ who loved us. Not, you and I are not just positive victors. You know, you're not just this, you're awesome. Well, you know, as Ken, Ken likes to say, I'm awesome. But to be honest, Ken's awesome, but he's, he's God. His Jesus is the one that makes him super awesome. So Ken is a positive thinker, but you know what? Jesus takes us beyond positive thinking and he places us alongside himself and he says, come and share my victory. And it's overwhelming victory. Nothing can touch this victory. This overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. But I, I want to come to something that Paul said in, in Romans 3. Um, and um, I'm talk about the state of some people's hearts in relation to, to sin. Um, I was thinking about this and one of the beautiful things that happens when someone is born again and we get set free of guilt and condemnation and the penalty and a punishment of sin, is that uh, the guilt and condemnation for the sins we have, uh, we've done is real. You know, when, you're, when you've done things wrong, you realise that the, you feel guilty in condemnation, right? Is that true? Sometimes we don't because we justify ourselves. But often we feel that guilt and condemnation and here's the reality no one stands before a perfect and pure god not guilty no one no humanity uh, romans 3 23 says for everyone has sinned we all fought, fall short of god's glorious standard i learned that when i was about 15 uh, there are two types of people there are people who say I've done so many things, God could never forgive me. Have you met people like that? Maybe you're one of them. They just, they, they say God's mercy is not enough. They underestimate what? God's mercy, how much he can forgive. Then there's another type of person and that person says, I'm a good person. And it's a strange thing to be, to be caught with this idea that I'm good enough for God, therefore I don't need to tell him I'm sorry for my sin and I've got nothing to answer for because I'm good enough. They're actually in, in a more dangerous place because for a person who doesn't think that God's forgiveness can actually reach them, I think it's easier to touch that person's heart and tell them how much Jesus loves them and how much he was prepared to give to die for them than it is for a person that says, well, actually, I don't think my sin's that bad. And they're the ones that worry me more. I think there'll be a lot more people in hell, right? A lot more people in hell who went to hell 
with this idea that I'm pretty good and I don't really need to be forgiven. Self-deceived, self-righteous, pride, yeah. It's a scary thought, isn't it? But you see, what we underestimate is God's purity. We also underestimate that once we've asked Jesus to forgive us for our sins, it says that he is faithful and just. It says here, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this, even though we've all sinned, when we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just and will forgive us for everything we've done. Yet in God, his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. For those who've done so much and feel like he could never forgive, what has Jesus done for them? He died for them. And for those who feel that they've lived a pretty good life and they're not that bad, did he die for them too? Yes. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin and people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. So my, my good news here is that all of you who are seated in this room, who are super Nikes, you're overwhelming victors. You are that because Jesus, you came to Jesus one day and you said, Jesus, I am imperfect and I am not worthy to be in your presence. And you have said to him, I need you to forgive me. And his answer to you was, because you confessed your sins, I forgive you. You are no longer bound to that punishment. You are no, long, no longer under guilt and condemnation. I set you free because I paid your price. I put my life on the cross so, and, I sac and I became your sacrifice for sin. And now I make you right. I make you right. You are, all your enemies, they just have fallen off you. Guilt, condemnation. The punishment, the penalty, the things, your exclusion from my presence forever. It's all done. Super Nike. You've got friends who don't believe that they could ever be good enough. That, that the sins that they've done exclude them from God. You've got good news. You've got friends who think they're good enough. You need to remind them no one's good enough. But if they humble themselves, if they come to the perfect God and ask the perfect God what Jesus has done for them, they can be made right. As a result of that, as a Christian, when I fail, anybody like me? Do you feel like a super Nike when you fail? What do you do when you fail? If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us 
from all our unrighteousness, which is the things that make us not right with God. God and God reminds me, Paul, your new identity is not a loser. You're a super winner because of what my son's done for you. You're a super winner with him. Jesus is a super winner. That's so liberating. I can tell the devil when he comes along with his condemnation and guilt and he puts it on me and says, you're a loser, Paul. You're a hypocrite. You're this, you're that. And I can remind him, I've sinned and I've fallen short of God's awesome glory all the time, but I'm not relying on my own rightness. I'm not relying on my ability to get it right every time. I'm telling you what I'm relying on right now. I'm telling you, devil, I'm relying on Jesus. He made me right. He paid my sin. You can get lost. I'm a super victor and he's defeated you. Your guilt, your condemnation can take a hike. I'm a super Nike. <laughs> yeah, that, that was good. That was spontaneous. Revelation. <laughs> I could start rapping right now. <laughs> the mad, the bad, the sad. Uh, I had two last time I spoke to you and at Balmoral they added the sad. That's, that's, that, that's what it's like to live in this world. Uh, we live in a world which actually at the moment there's a, a, a great level of um, defeat in our world. There's a lot of stuff going on. And this is, these are all the things that Paul expresses, which we've talked about. Trouble, calamity, persecution, hunger, destitution, danger, threat with death. Uh, death and life, angels, demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tonight, not even the powers of hell. The super Nike part of our faith overcomes all these things. Now, here's what's interesting in that story that we heard about the... the um, Husband that got killed. I have a question to ask you. What am I teach? Is what I'm teaching this morning about us being super Nike? Does it apply to him? Because he got killed. I, I'm sorry, but doesn't that seem? Like he didn't win? He didn't get separated from the love of God. Why? What, does, what do we read here? Nothing. Nothing. Not death. Our victory may not always come this side of eternity. But we are victors in Christ because death is not, does not have the final say in our story. I, over the 22 years I've been a pastor at, at New Heart, I've, uh, I've seen some people go through some really trying, hard last days. Some people who have loved Jesus go through some pain and travail and the families around them have had to watch a loved one die badly. It's not been nice. And it's really hard to see the super Nike part of your faith when you go through such bad times. Has anybody experienced that? It's hard. 
But you see, we put so much value on this life. And we put so little value on the next. We're going to get to the other side when our bodies are resurrected, when there is no sin, there's going to be no Satan, no temptation, no destructive power in the world that we live in. It is only going to be the perfect love of God and us and one another. We are, we are going to get there and go, what were we thinking about? Yes, why didn't we realize just how much God loved us and how mighty his victory is there and then? If we'd, if we'd only realized how much Jesus has done for us, then we could have faced what we had to face with this knowledge that we are and will be forever super Nikes. We are, have been declared by Jesus overwhelming victors because he is the overwhelming victor. We are super Nikes because of his super love. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. It's this overwhelming power that destroys the enemy. But you know where it all came from? It all came from this. That God who did not spare his own son. This is the power of love of God. The agape. You think about this. Any of you who've got someone that you love, would you be prepared to lay them down for the life of somebody else? Will you choose them to, to give their life away to save others? Could you imagine the choice? But out of God, the Father's massive, super abundant, overwhelming love for the world, he gave his only son. I don't know about you, but when I think about that and I deeply consider that, it makes me realize just how much God loves me and us, the me and the we. And you know what that does to me? That changes my perspective. Um, uh, what, did the, what was the word that Simo used last week? Just he, he compels. compels. He talked about motivates. That wasn't the word reorientates his thinking about going forward and this is what he was talking about last week um, that that diagram's gone a bit wonky in the process of going over to powerpoint but he talked about the three greats the love of god the love one another and the mission to love the world our obedience is a response to his super love what is, what is our takeaway from this? Is it good just to go away and go, I'm a super Nike. I'm an overwhelming victor. No, no, no. What that does to me is it, it, it's this undergirding of why I want to love the Lord my God with all my heart and with all my soul and all my mind and all my strength because he loved me with this super abundant, amazing, and he has set me free and I now have a reason to live. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. But what he didn't say at that moment is, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And the reason that he, he, he asks us to respond, he asks us to respond to his obedience to the Father and says, will you obey me because I've loved you first?
God goes first. And our obedience is a response to his super love. So the three great commands are love the Lord your God, love one another as I have loved you, John chapter 13, 34, and love the world, which is his mission to, to share the good news of what his death and resurrection has done to set people free. These are the three great commands. And why do I want to live my life? Why do I want to do that? I tell you what motivates me, it's his amazing, amazing love that would not spare his own son. That would give it all for me. And that would actually go, your enemies are my enemies and I've defeated your enemies. And I have not spared them. They, they, they are done. And you are mine and I am yours. This is the love that compels me, motivates me. And it's the love that sends us out of here as disciples of Jesus on mission. It's what causes me to want to be with you in fellowship in small groups. It's, want, it's the desire that says that, that I want our life groups to share life, faith and mission together. I want our church to be on mission to love one another in such a way that people would look at us and go, look at the way they love one another. They must love Jesus. I want them to see generous acts of love coming from each person that says the love of God compels me to do this act of sacrificial generosity to you right now. I, I love the, the story of Beth with her, her um, brother-in-law and just saying, I'll be praying for your healing wouldn't it be awesome if we kept doing that and then we, we touched somebody on the shoulder and prayed for them and they got healed. And then they got to, to see the love of God in a tangible, powerful way that overcome their immediate enemy. And then they go, how did you do that? And what did Peter and John say? I didn't do it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you got healed. This man, the blind man, this man wasn't, it was in the name of Jesus he got 